Welcome to this inspiring message by Paul Van Essen at Greater Life Church. For more information about us, do visit our website www.greaterlife.org.uk. I am really excited to be sharing with you today on a message entitled Get Your Armour On. Get your spiritual armour on. It's a reality of our Christian life. And I want to ask you this this morning. Is anybody out there uh, feeling a little exhausted? Maybe feeling a little beaten up? Maybe feeling just not sharp, just not on top? Maybe feeling sick, ill, depressed, oppressed, fearful, hindered? Those things are classic signs of spiritual warfare, and that is why we're on this topic. Uh, Stuff happens in this world. Sometimes it has to do with you, your own calling, your own purpose. You will find as you make steps forward in, um, in, in in our spiritual life that, uh, generally speaking, attacks of Satan uh, increase. Uh, so when Jesus was about to launch into his ministry, uh, the very first thing was that he went and fasted and prayed for 40 days. Uh, that was the will of God for his life. Uh, but that was also a season of extraordinary uh, temptation from Satan. Why? Because he's about to come out of that with the power of the Holy Spirit on him like never before and begin his ministry and begin his preaching. Uh, So he lived for 30 odd years, uh, but as he's transitioning into his calling uh, and purpose, uh, warfare comes. So sometimes war comes and you don't want to, you you know, we don't want to over-exaggerate things. There are people that, that think that every trouble is a demon and that, you know, behind every, uh, you know, corner, there's some uh, demonic force waiting for them. It's That's not true. A lot of things in life are just life. Uh, a lot of things in life are reaping and sowing. If you make bad decisions financially, for instance, uh, and you, for example, have a habit of spending more every month than comes in, every month, well, you know what's going to happen. If within a, a, some space of time, uh, you are going to be short. You're going to be in debt, and that will be a bondage to you. Can God break debt off your life? Yes. Is there a spirit of debt that tries to steal from people? Yes. Uh, is it also, can, can God miraculously provide all that you need financially. Yes, he can. But usually, you will find that the change comes when you change your life by making better decisions. You can't keep sowing badly and then expect that God's miraculous power will avoid you from reaping badly. You will reap what you sow. So there's a balance in all these kinds of things. But right now in this season, maybe partly because of where where you're at personally, 
but certainly because of where the world's at personally. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. This COVID-19 situation is no surprise to God in the slightest. It is uh, far less uh, damaging than many other uh, illnesses that have invaded the world, like the bubonic plague, which John G. Lake was involved with in South Africa in the early 1900s, like the Spanish flu and all kinds of things, the Great Plague, Black Death, Uh, that plagued uh, England and Europe a couple of centuries ago. I don't know the exact date. But there have been things far worse. Smallpox, I was actually reading a little bit about Jenner. I think it was Edward Jenner, a medical doctor from Gloucestershire in the middle 1700s. It was he that got the idea that somebody with cowpox... Uh, could uh, potentially get cowpox because there was a similarity, cowpox is in cows, uh, and maybe be inoculated from or protected against smallpox. Smallpox was uh, almost a death sentence and invading a massive proportion of the population. I can't remember what it was exactly. But all of these things have been far worse than COVID-19 in terms of their medical health impact. What we do have now is a a situation with social media and communications and technology where the whole world is aware of what's going on in other places in the world within seconds. And we also have the capacity to communicate our particular point, point of view about that very quickly. And uh, as you will well be, be well aware, neither the media nor social media and people's opinions are much of a reflection of God's truth. Um, so you need to bear that in mind and you need to be careful about what you give yourself attention to. Um, that said, that situation has had huge ramifications uh, for people's lives in this year. Uh, there's a lot of people that wish this year had never happened that can't wait for it to be over. Um, But the enemy tries to twist what God will use for good and for his glory. Uh, I'm not saying that God sends COVID-19 sickness. I'm saying that God's bigger than COVID-19 sickness. And in the midst of that horrible thing, and I am personally involved with families that have lost members of the family because of COVID-19. So I'm well aware uh, of of the difficulties and I feel the pain of people because of the work that I do in the funeral field. Um, So I'm, you know, I'm not uh, ignorant of those things, but I'm also aware of the spirit of fear that tries to ruin people's lives. All that to say, We're in a season of warfare, and many are feeling challenged, struggling, hindered, not sharp, uh, some really oppressed. That's why we're talking about this topic right now. It's in the Bible, but there are seasons, of course, where we talk about different things. Now, we started this series a few weeks ago now. We've kind of moved into healing at the same time because there is a connection 
And next week, I'm expecting that we will minister in that realm of healing. Um, but I want to talk this week about Get Your Armour On. Uh, and I think we'll, this will probably take us two weeks to get through because there are seven pieces of armour. If you've ever noticed it, we'll read it in a moment. And, uh, and we want to touch on each of those in our time together. So the last time we talked about this subject, we talked about uh, we did a message called Faith Over Fear, and then we talked about your spiritual weapons. And the references to your spiritual weapons are in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. We have spiritual weapons, and they destroy arguments, strongholds. In other words, things that... Um, uh, that Occupy your thinking, your mind. That's where that focus is. So to put it succinctly, many problems that we face as Christians are because we don't think correctly. And those spiritual weapons, and we will have posted up on YouTube that message uh, about that, about your spiritual weapons. Um, but as a reminder, here's a few if you weren't there for that week. These are good spiritual weapons. Number one, worship God out loud. Praise and worship him. Give thanks to him. Everything that's trying to stop you doing that, uh, that, that there'll be a root in there somewhere that's trying to disconnect you from the Lord. But loud praise and worship, I always say turn it up. Uh, I'm very careful about the music I listen to in my own life. Second thing is just strong prayer, persistent prayer. You'll find these things get attacked in your life. And, and might diminish in your life if you're not on the, on the lookout about this stuff. So be, be aware of that. Uh, the Word of God, of course, attending to the Word of God, hearing it, putting your faith into gear like Caroline was talking about before, just deliberately believing, making a choice to believe, acting on the, what the Bible said, and speaking out what the Bible said. That's a part of that. And then the fourth weapon I mentioned, and it's just a brief rehash, but important, is the anointing of God, the presence of God. The anointing is like oil. Uh, it's, it's golden in color. It sits on, it rests on Christian people. It brings change. It's the spirit of God manifest in a certain place. It's extremely significant. The difference between Jesus for the first 30 years, stay with me on this just for a moment. First 30 years, was he the son of God? Yes. Was he sinless before God? Yes. Did he pray and read the Bible? Yes. Did he do anything in ministry? Miracles, healings, nothing that we know of. Come to Luke 3, 23. And he's being baptized by John, and the Holy Spirit falls upon him. Right? And it says then in the next verse, and his ministry began. And then after, straight after that, in Luke 4, his first message in that ministry season, he's about 30 years of age, the Bible tells us. He speaks out of Isaiah, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Well, that's just happened. Not that he was ever without God, but something changed. Unless you want to believe that, you know, in Luke 3, 23, when it says heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended upon him, that that didn't really make any difference. 
That would be a little silly. So something has changed. He steps out and he says, the spirit of the Lord's upon me because he's anointed me. Those two things. And that anointing changed everything. So from then on, water turns to wine. Cripples are healed. The word of God is spoken with remarkable authority. Uh, demons are cast out of people, out of into pigs, in whatever. And that whole thing happened because of the anointing that's on his life. The anointing is real. The anointing is powerful. And the reason that sometimes you've listened to ministers, preachers, teachers, and they might preach the Bible, they might speak it truthfully, they might be accurate, but it's a little bit like hearing a school teacher teach. It's not, and then other times, and I can think of this in my own life, it's been very significant for me, other times, even if I don't necessarily think what they're saying, I don't maybe not agree, and maybe I, I don't know either, by the way. But there is something on the way they're speaking that is compelling. That's what the anointing does. That's what you want to look for. Anybody, I mean a donkey in the Bible, can speak for God. Anybody can read the words of the Bible. But not everybody is anointed to speak for God. Important thing. Just a little free side note, okay? So the, the anointing is upon him. That's part of your weapons as well. When you get in the presence of God, the things that were frustrating you, that making your mind go all over and think negatively or doubting or whatever, the influence of that heavenly oil changes how you think. All right, let's go to Ephesians 10 because I want us now to, to get into this topic uh, which is get your armor on. Many who are listening to me will have read this passage before, but I'm going to read it from Ephesians 6, 10 through to 18. And uh, and it's I'm reading in the ESV, English Standard Version, which is a good version of the Bible. And uh, if you have a Bible there with you, follow me along. Uh, be a lover of the Bible. Be a lover of the Word of God. Let it absorb you. There's nothing that'll do you more benefit. You know, there are TV shows I like too. And, uh, you know, I know that the, uh, you know, the, what's the, the, the Six Nations restarted after faltering earlier in the year. And so rugby's uh, exciting and Caroline's from Wales. So, you know, that's always exciting. But what well, wasn't exciting yesterday, actually. But anyway, enough of that but love the Word of God. So let me read it to you, and if you don't have the Bible in front of you, I encourage you to get one. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm going to read uh, the ESV. Listen to this. Finally, last thing I'm saying, Paul writes to this Ephesian congregation, churches, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Put it on so that you may be able to stand against the schemes or the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle. We wrestle against the rulers, the authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Four different levels of demonic activity with varying levels of authority 
and that's what we're wrestling against, not people. The thought will come, my problem is my spouse. My problem is my kids. My problem is my parents. That's where my real problem is. My problem is the boss. If it weren't for the boss. No, no, no. You're not wrestling against any of those things. You're wrestling against demonic powers. And that's why you've got to put this armor on. Therefore, in view of this, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day when the pressure's on, when the stuff hits you like it is hitting many now so that you may be able to stand and having done all to stand firm. How? What's our armor? Here it is. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, number one, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that's number two, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, number three. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, number four, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, number five, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, number six. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, number seven. And actually, that's all we need to read there to chapter, verse 18. Let me remind you of the opening passage. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand. In other words, if you don't have the armor of God on, you won't be able to stand. And if you're struggling standing, and if I know anything about Christian people, they will all have their moments of struggling standing. And for many too many, they have not known what it is to stand in victory like a soldier clothed in armour, sometimes for years, sometimes ever. And that's why, but Paul is addressing this thing, and so I want us to talk about it, and we're going to go into, well, we'll get through, I hope, the first half of these pieces of armour. There are seven pieces of armour. And notice this, it says, put on truth which is like a belt. So the armor is not a belt. The armor is truth. And it acts or functions like a belt. Let's go through that. Number one, truth is armor. Put it on. Number two, righteousness is armor. Put it on. Number three, the gospel of peace is armor. Put it on. Number four, faith is the shield, part of the armour. Take it up. Put it in place. Let's look at those four things. Truth functions like a belt. The belt in those days for a Roman soldier, which is what the uh, picture is, was a very thick and solid thing that held all the other pieces together. And when he says truth being a piece of armor what what does that mean for us we have got to hold on to what is true we've got to have it in the center of our lives so we could say this the spirit holy spirit is called the spirit of truth and jesus talks to father god in john 17 and says your word 
is truth. So the Holy Spirit's truth and the Word of God is truth. Let's start there. But let's, let's apply truth to our lives. So, for example, I chose to marry Caroline. If you think that that means that every single day I'm madly in love with her and she's madly in love with me and we feel like that all the time and we never disagree, then uh, you should change channels. Uh, that just isn't the case, and it isn't the case for anybody. There are times for every married person when you wonder whether this was the best decision. There are times when you're frustrated, and Satan will try and play on that and try and get you to a point where you say, well, actually, and I've counseled people in this situation, end of the day, I think I missed God when I married that person, and now, being married, I'm out of the will of God. So I'm going to leave or get divorced to get back in the will of God. That's the kind of twisted thinking that Satan will try and get you to. The truth is that you made a choice. And so this is God's choice for me. That's the truth. And if you'll stick to truth, then you're keeping a piece of armor on. Now, here's another interesting truth, okay? I went through, as some of you all know, a horrible breakdown in a marriage that I never thought would happen uh, and was a, a really difficult season of my life, and I'm thankful for some minister friends, particularly Pat Sparrow. This is in the early 2000s, so some time ago now, who was a real strength to me, helped me walk through that. Uh, and helped our church at that time. It was very difficult. Um, but in the end, divorce was the choice. Divorce was what happened. Um, and I want to caution you uh, to be careful about how you judge, uh, especially as a Christian, uh, people who have been through divorce. And I'm talking about believers. Now, if people are not believers, that's a whole different world. And we have no responsibility to correct their lives except to introduce them to Jesus. That's what we're here for. And let the love of God change their life. But when you're dealing with Christians, and, and you know, I, as, I, as I said somewhere earlier, I've been a Christian for 40, over 40 years, and I've been in ministry um, uh, for effectively doing the work of the ministry for 30 plus years. Uh, and I've seen and heard and observed and been part of lots of decisions that have been made around this. Here's the one thing you need to know. For two people to get on well together and for marriage to work, both have to decide to do that. If one person says, I want this marriage to work, and the other person says, no, I don't, uh, either overtly or covertly, then this isn't going to work. And then it becomes a matter of time as to whether this person ever is going to open up and wanting to make it work or whether we end up living two separate lives. And then the question becomes, and it's a good question, do we, if, as was in my case, as a minister, do we continue to live this kind of dichotomy and still lead in the church of Jesus when actually what's going on in our personal world is not 
representative of the way God would like things for people. Or do you get to a place where you say, well, this isn't working and I'm wanting to make it work, but it isn't. Uh, and don't try and read too much into what I'm saying. My point is this, that for something to work, two people have to be agreed. And if two people don't agree, it isn't going to work. So you have to be really careful when you make judgments about other Christians that have been through that because you really don't know what went on, what was in either heart. And even if mistakes were made, um, then you who have made no mistakes are welcome to pick up some stones and start throwing. So I say all that to say, here's the thing that I had to go through, which was news to me, and some of my minister friends helped me with that. There's a point in life where plan A didn't function anymore. And then plan B comes in, and plan B becomes plan A. And that was what would hap happen with Caroline and I. Plan B became plan A. And now, that is my plan A. And that's my commitment and that's my life. And I know the pain and the damage that happened to me and happens to lots of others through things like that. But now I have to be mentally agreed that this is the truth is, this is now plan A for my life. And I've got to run with that same thing. I'm responsible for my life. I'm responsible for the decisions that I take. Nobody made me do it as an adult. That's truth. If you will walk in truth, if you are going to, therefore, to, to, to say um, it's somebody else's fault that i am in got this a lot in life. How old are you? If you're over 20, then... That is less and less true. Uh, you will be at 20, probably significantly influenced by people, things that have gone before, but you've been making your own decisions for a while. And if you haven't fully broken out of uh, a parental influence, so to speak, and I'm not, you know, not uh, that's a good thing. Good parenting is, is very important. But once you're an adult, you're an adult, you make your own decisions. And those parents won't have been perfect, and they might have caused real problems. But now you get to choose how you're going to respond. And it can take a while for things to change. But if you live in a zone where you really deep down kind of feel like somebody else is responsible for my mess in life, then you're not holding to truth. And you lose the belt. You lose the piece of armour and you become exposed to uh, the works, the wiles, the schemes of Satan. That's the belt of truth. Righteousness is the second thing. The breastplate, which is a funny old word. You know, it's the piece of armour that goes over your chest and, and protects all your organs. So it's extremely important. Uh, some of you might remember, <laughs> I don't know why these things come to me. Uh, do you remember the Monty Python film, um, The Holy Grail? Remember that? And, and The Black Knight, do you, some of you will remember this. Some of you are chuckling. Others of you are probably wondering. Anyway, if you've ever seen it, The Black Knight was, uh, was a, a knight that was protecting a bridge. 
and uh, and uh, the king, self-pronounced king, um, came and, uh, you know, they were going to have a battle and the king chopped his arm completely off, just fell off in Monty Python fashion. Blood went everywhere. And he said, no, that's just a flesh wound. And then he, the other arm came off and then both legs came off. So there's just this stump on the ground <laughs> saying, come back here. Come back here, I'll bite you to death or something like that. Um, and the point is that his chest was protected, so all his vital organs are in place. So you could lose, you know, technically, certainly a limb or two, amputations, different things you can lose and you can still live. You get plundered in here, your heart, your lungs, your liver, uh, your kidneys at the back, your that whole thing, and, and it's over for you. So breastplate is important because it's protecting the most vital organs. And it's righteousness that's a breastplate. Righteousness is an armor. What is righteousness? Righteousness is 100% right standing with God. Righteousness is I'm clean, I'm pure, I'm perfectly, I'm perfect before God. We do it in this, uh, we're doing Hebrews in this uh, Go Deeper we do during the week on Wednesday nights. And we talked about that, how, how a part of the truth in there was, in, in the book of Hebrews, that I am absolutely the righteousness of God. And all the errors of the past, this new covenant we have, is completely taken away. So it's got nothing to do right, with how well I live, whether I've been a Christian for four weeks or for 40 years, whether I've done really well or not done really well in my Christian walk. I'm going to obviously encourage you to do really well and live for God every day. And that's that's a really big drive in my heart and, and my whole calling. But in terms of righteousness, okay, that's not a factor. The factor is the blood of Jesus that we shed in communion. That blood shed for you. That is what made you righteous. And so even in the midst of bad mistakes, even in the midst of errors, you are 100% righteous because of what Jesus did. I'm going to read you one passage that will help you with this. Uh, and then I want to encourage you. We won't have time, but if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to read your Bibles in your own time, have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Just write it down. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It'll tell you that you are the righteousness of God, that you are as righteous as God is. Nothing to do with your behavior everything to do with Jesus paying the price for your errors and his righteous standard being imputed to your account, which is what the Bible teaches. So that's an accounting term. In other words, you could, you could be in the red on every level of life. The way I speak, the way I think, the way I act, the amount I drink, the amount I eat, the abusive language, you, you could be in the red on everything. 
But when you meet Jesus, when he, when you invite him into your life, your account is credited with his score. And his score is 100% on everything. And so you become 100% on everything. We're talking about the armor of God, righteousness. See, when people don't think that, when they don't think I am righteous, when they think I am unrighteous, I'm sinful, I've done this wrong, then they are taking off their armor. Because righteousness is the armor. It doesn't have to do with you living right. It has to do with you believing what Jesus has credited to your account. And you, are you catching this today? So many Christians who are focused on or have their minds influenced by the idea that I am not righteous are simply taking off the armor that Jesus or Paul the Holy Ghost through Paul told us to put on. Then they get in trouble and their heart gets hit or their lungs get hit or things get damaged and their Christian life is way less effective. Their victory is not very real. It's a struggle. Why? Because you didn't take up the armor. Righteousness is the armor. Let me read you this one passage. I mentioned 2 Corinthians. Listen to Colossians 1, okay? Just read this couple of verses here from verse about 19, I think it is, Colossians 1. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, that's Jesus, and through him to reconcile or make friends again to himself everything, whether it's on earth, earth or in heaven, making, by, making peace by the blood of the cross. Verse 21 is where we really want to be. And you... You, me, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing bad things, evil deeds, he has now reconciled. He has now made friends in the body of his flesh by death in order to present you holy, that's you, blameless, that's you, above reproach, no accusation can be made without blame. Christian, you are without blame before God. No accusation can be made. Is there an if in there? There is. If indeed you continue in the faith. In other words, faith, believing. If you continue in believing. Not if you continue living perfectly. Just if you continue in your believing. That's the key. You believe what the Bible tells you, truth, that you are the righteousness of God and that keeps your armor, that piece of armor on. Okay, the third piece is the gospel of peace. And the gospel of peace functions like these shoes. And an armor of a soldier had shoes that had to be protected as they were walking. They weren't ordinary shoes. Flip-flops will not cut it on the field of battle. And... Uh, and the gospel of peace means the gospel, the good news, you should prepared with the gospel of good news of peace with God. The gospel of peace with God. What's the gospel of good news? It's that now every person can be at peace with God. The message, the work has been done and we're at peace with God. 
and that's when, when it talks about shoes that's the way you walk that's the way you walk you walk with the gospel of peace in other words it's not the gospel of you're a sinner the message is not you're sinful some christians bless their serious and somewhat misguided hearts feel that the message we've got to tell people is that they're sinful. That's not the message at all. That's not the message Jesus told at all. It's the good news of the love of God. It's the it's peace with God. Hear that? That's the gospel of peace. It's not the news of God's holy and righteous judgment against sin. Again, you are going to meet some Christians that think like that and talk like that. That isn't the armor that we're supposed to be putting on. Most people in my years of experience in ministry and leadership that have a strong sense of God's holy and righteous judgment against sinful a sinful man, most of those people have not re- seen the depth of the agape love of God. That's all. And that's why Paul prays that prayer for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through to 19. You can read it in your own time. It's a prayer that people would see the depth of the love of God. When you see how incredibly loving and gracious and kind and overlooking the love of God is, that it doesn't even take into account, then this holy and righteous judgment mentality, I'm not saying it's not in the Bible. There is reference to that. But we're talking about the gospel. And the gospel is not of holy and righteous judgment against sin it's that all people have been already granted peace with God wearing that armor means walking on your feet on shoes on your feet walking with that message as you go into your daily life you can be at peace with God that's that peace and love and then I'm going to get to cover one more and then we close today I hope I'm helping you today. I feel like we're touching something important today. Faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith. So faith, let, let me, I, I think it would help you if you considered faith this way. Faith is trust and inner, inner knowing. Because we use a word like faith, like we use a word like righteousness, or a word like sin, And we're so used to hearing that word that we often don't realize what it's really saying. Okay, faith is trust. When you have faith in God, you trust God. If you were to lean back, you know, you can do that trust test with kids or adults. And you say, uh, you stand up on a chair maybe, or just on the ground maybe maybe on a table, you stand up and close your eyes and I want you to fall backwards and trust that I'm going to catch you. Now, one of the most damaging things you can do to any person is to play, especially with a child, is to play that trick and then not catch them. That's really hinders trust. People think it's funny, but actually it's very damaging. The more trust you can build in people, the more you can encourage them to have trust, have faith, the more they'll be helpful. So the idea is they close their eyes and if they really trust you, 
Mind you, they're not going to die. They're just going to bang their head. But if they really trust you, they will let go, pull back. Your hands will be there. And your trust was put in the right person. Well, God is more trustworthy than any person. God will never let you fall. And so faith is trust. And faith is inward knowing. Faith is deep down on the inside. I know that I know that I know. I'm not hoping it'll happen. I'm not even confident that it will happen. As far as I'm concerned on the inside, it's already happened. It's a done deal. It can't be shifted. It can't be changed. One version of the Bible uses the word title deed. Faith is the title deed. So if you own a property or you've ever seen a, a property, a piece of land or a house, there'll be a title deed. And that title deed is the legal proof that you own that property. Your name will be on there, normally in full, and the details of the property and some other details. And if it's under mortgage, the mortgage's name. Um, and that is the proof, legally. And faith is like that. It's a title deed. It's a proof. You've got this title deed on the inside of you that whatever you're having faith for is done. It's legally already yours. You know, somebody coming along saying, sorry, you don't own that property. It's like, please, I've got the title deed. It's exactly the same. I explain, I take that time because many people think they're having faith and, and they're having hope at best. And hope is good, but it isn't faith. So faith is trust and inward knowing. And this trust and this inward knowing acts like a shield against all the fiery darts of the enemy. You ever been hit by fiery darts, accusations, emotional fiery darts? Just give up. Sometimes, in extreme cases, is like whistling. Fiery darts that come at you. In your heart, I'm never talking to them again. That's it. I'm never trusting God again. Fiery darts. Shots that are made against your life that try and take you out. We've all suffered them. Some of us that are listening right now are under the influence of those shots. The answer to that is to have your shield up or to have your faith or to keep living by trusting and believing what God said, not what the circumstances seem to be saying, not what I my emotions seem to be saying, not what somebody else on the news or the media said, but what God said. When you put your trust in what God said to the point where it was inward knowing, and I want to tell you a story, but I'm not going to have time to do that today. We're going to have to save the story until next time. I'm going to tell you about the, the power of trust that was in a woman in the book of Luke. But we'll, 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 we'll close there because I just know we've got to wrap up here today. But you've got to learn to trust what God said. We're going to pick up from there. Not what circumstances say. I feel this way. It looks this way. Yeah, And, and in six months, it'll look different. And in some ways on this planet, there's always going to be stuff that looks bad. There's always going to be people that are hungry, that need food, and we can't feed them all. And Jesus said that you're always going to have that. Some things are just not going to change. That doesn't mean you shouldn't act for change. 
that means you should not let yourself get disillusioned because the whole thing isn't fixed. I'm going to close on this point and then we're going to wrap up, Carrie and I, for today. In the very beginning, and this is maybe the most important thing I'm going to say, so please stay with me. In the very beginning, we're told in this passage of Scripture to put on the armour. How do you put armour on? Is that a good question? How do you put it on? I've kind of alluded to it through our time together. But how do you put it on? Some people would say, well, I speak it on. The truth of confession. You know, I say, I get up in the morning and I say, I put on the breastplate of righteousness. I put on, I take up the shield of faith. I put on the helmet of salvation. Now, confession is true, but it doesn't work in this case. That it is not an applicable truth in this situation. Just because you say, I'm taking up a shield of faith, doesn't mean you're going to act in faith. So that doesn't really work. Another way people might say is, well, I pray. Because prayer is good, and it is. Oh, God, can you put this armor on? God, put on me now. God ain't going to do it. He won't answer that prayer. He loves you, but he sent me to tell you, to help you. So stop praying that one, because it doesn't work. Some prayers you pray don't work. Got to learn how to pray. We're going to cover that in some online Bible training college thing we're going to do in the future as we walk through our exciting transition in this season of life. But in the meantime, you might as well know that, that that isn't going to work for you because you putting on your armour is your responsibility. So how do you put it? Let me let me say this. There's, you've got to understand it and you've got to walk in it. That's how you put the armour on. You understand it. You understand that righteousness is nothing to do with your behavior and everything to do with the credit on your account from Jesus. If you don't understand that, you have no armor on. So you understand it and then you have to walk in it. You then have to go through the day and when things come against you, your righteousness, suggesting you are unrighteous. Whoop, you lost your temper. You said words you shouldn't say. You slammed the door, and then you said to yourself, I'm never talking to that person again. Okay, so you missed it. You made a mistake. Walking in righteousness is saying, hang on a minute. I'm right with God because of what Jesus did. So thank God for taking away my sins. There will probably be, in that case, uh, a situation where you need to articulate to somebody if you've offended them and apologize, say, I'm sorry. But repentance is changing your mind. It's thinking that was a bad way to act. Let's get back to, and and the guilt that comes, and the I'm not righteous thinking that comes. I'm not righteous. Not a wonder things went bad. Not not a wonder you didn't get that pay rise when you live like that. You're righteous because of what Jesus did. I'm not saying you don't have to live right. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you're righteous because of what Jesus did. And you walk that out. So then you slam the door, then you, you you know, if it's a phone call you need to make or an apology. But this idea of guilt, this idea of through the day, now, now, I'm not right with God, ridiculous. I walk in the fact that I'm the righteousness of God 10 seconds after I made a mistake that was not righteous because it isn't to do with my actions. It's to do with his credit to my account. That's how you walk it out.
The same principle applies in the sphere of, with faith, taking up the shield. You've got to you've got to believe what God said when the circumstances tell you fear isn't hitting everybody, they're losing their jobs, you're going to lose yours, or you have lost yours, or you won't get a new one. Whereas faith is trusting God. It says, no, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to walk it out. As you understand what those seven pieces of armor, we'll cover them next time, the rest, and then you walk in them, then you are putting on the armor, and then you are equipped to stand against everything the devil throws at you, and come out victorious. Glory to God. That's what we want to know. All right, my friends. I hope that's helped you. I've had a good time in the Word of God. Carrie's going to come uh, now, I am sure.